0: Welcome to the Runners Roundtable podcast. Season four is Conversations with Runners, and each episode features a conversation with an inspiring female runner who is making the running community better in her own way. In this episode, I'm talking to Carolyn Sue about Diverse We Run, the journey from self acceptance to celebration, and taking up space through the stories we share. Enjoy this episode, and thanks for listening. Welcome, everyone. Another episode, season four, Runners Roundtable, where this season is dedicated to female runners who are inspiring us to make the running community better and who are making the running community better themselves. And today I'm joined by Carolyn Sue. And I'm, I'm really delighted to be able to talk to you because I just discovered you back and discovered you. That's like such a weird way to say it, but I just (laughs) discovered you on Instagram back in October. And it was when, and we don't have to go into it at all, but it was when everything with Tracksmith was going on. And I went down the rabbit hole of Tracksmith and I was like, I I call it like one, it was a popcorn moment for me where I was just on my phone. Like, I'm like, oh, let me follow the different people who are commenting <laughs> here or people who are being tagged here. And that's how I came across your account because someone else had tagged you. And I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And then you had published a post that addressed it. And it's that it's not about the singlet post, which I think was incredible because people were kind of missing the point on it, but that's how I found you. And then I continued down the rabbit hole of everything else that you do. And I knew that I had to speak to you because storytelling is something that is incredibly important to me. And it's through stories that we adults learn and grow right? When we're younger, we go to school and we learn math and we learn how to read and we learn how to write. And, but once we become adults and we've learned the math and the reading and the writing, there's still, we still have to continue growing and evolving. And I find that that happens through stories and through learning and hearing other people's stories. So, once I landed on the diversity run page, I'm like, wait a minute, storytelling—it's right there. It's right. Like I totally have to speak to Carolyn and amplify your voice and amplify your story in the way that I can. So, before I say anything else or anything else happens, can you introduce yourself to us and tell us how you got into running?
1: Yes. Hello. Thank you for having me here, Steph. Um, yeah, that, it's always really interesting to hear about how people come across the Diverse We Run page or come across my own personal Instagram account. and um, And it's also always really scary when people tag, you know, when anyone tags you on Instagram for any reason, you're kind of like, <gasps> what is this about? <laughs> Why? Um, but yeah, I guess just kind of background and context. Um, I'm Carolyn Sue. I am um, Chinese American and I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. And I uh, am now here based out of Boston, Massachusetts. I am a mom. I am a runner, trail runner, marathoner, um, writer, advocate. Uh, I do a lot of I get, you know, I do a lot of work and writing, um, through writing, I should say more specifically in the running world, uh, like you had mentioned, I write, I storytell on the Instagram platform I created a few years ago called diverse. We run, and that is a place where I share stories of people of color. Um, just talking about how our cultural background, our race, you know, shapes, our entry into the sport and how that continues to shape how we experience uh, the the sport and the community. So um, yeah, that's in short version <laughs> who I am and what I do. So thank when you for th- having me.
0: Yeah. When did you start running?
1: Oh, I started running 2001, which was my freshman year in college. And I guess that kind
0: of dates. <laughs> You're like, that's Oh man, crazy. now that sounds so
1: far long ago,
0: but yeah, it's, so. you know, it's, it's a version of you that's been with you for a really, really long time. And I often think of my, I started running later than you, but it was 2012 and when I think about it I'm like wow that is a committed relationship like yeah like, yeah I never considered myself a runner before that and here I am 11 years later and I'm like oh I'm still doing this like this is <laughs> it has to be love like this is true oh, love at mm-hmm. this point that I'm still mm-hmm. doing that so you start running in 2001 but I know you did not start being an advocate right so what happened along? I guess what happened between 2001? And, and I think I saw that 2019 is when you started the diverse we run. So what mm-hmm. happened in that time that you're <laughs> like, huh, there is there is a there's a gap here. Yeah. And let me kind of fill that gap. Yeah. Okay. Like, so
1: what happened in the last two decades? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I think for anyone who has been a runner for even like more than a day, (laughs) you uh, know how running can be such a medium to teach, teach us about ourselves and about life. Right. And, um, and if you allow it to running really shapes, uh, who we are in as we go through all the different seasons and eras, uh, of our identity, right, growing as a person. Um, And so I think that that's basically what happened for me. um, I started running, like I said, freshman year in college. And honestly, it was because I was trying to maintain an eating disorder uh, that I had since I was 13. Um, And running was at that time, you know, it was touted by all of the different health and fitness magazines as being the most effective, efficient way of, you know, burning fat, burning calories, getting lean, all of those, you know, all of those key catchphrases. Um, And, you know, I had, my family had a gym membership starting from when I was 14 years old. And so I had been uh, going to the gym ever since I was 14. So I was very familiar with, you know, elliptical trainer, group fitness classes, all of that. But for running, it wasn't, it just wasn't something that I was very familiar with. Um, A lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, my parents are Chinese Taiwanese immigrants, and they uh, were busy establishing a semblance of life, you know, for me and my sister and relatives, you know, we all lived, <laughs> we all lived together. And, um, and so there really wasn't any bandwidth for sports. um, And sports was definitely considered this like, extracurricular luxury that, quote, unquote, you know, Western Americans liked to do for just enjoyment you know, nothing more. And so, you know, I mean, I, I'm honestly like looking back, I'm pretty impressed and proud of my parents for at least even signing us up for a gym membership because they had, they understood, okay, you know, like physical health is a part of taking care of yourself, you know, and, um, and so we had that. Um, but like I said, otherwise, again, like organized sports, not really on my radar. I was not familiar with it. I only started running because like I said, like there were magazines that gave me instructions on how to do so, you know? And of course, you know, 2001, the internet, social media was not in existence. There were not like TikToks or YouTube videos or anything like that on like how to get into running couch to 5k type of things, right? Like it was all like, basically if you were able to obtain a printed publication yeah. then then you would know about it otherwise of course like unless you were already involved in team sports growing up which we already established I wasn't so anyway long story short um i started running because i was like okay well let's try this thing you know i had at that point already exhausted a lot of um a, a lot of my time and energy with like the stuff at the gym. And I wanted to try something different. And so, you know, freshman year, first semester, um, I found one friend who uh, was willing to try this like new, new and outlandish thing, you know, <laughs> with me. And so we went for a run, you know, from the University of Texas at Austin, like our um, campus all the way to the state capitol and back. And that was about three miles. And I don't have any other recollection of, you know, how that felt. Did I enjoy it or was it difficult or anything like that? I was purely just so focused and caught up in the numbers, you know, of Mm -hmm. calories in, calories out, all of that, that I just simply saw it as like a checkmark to controlling, you know, um, what I needed to control and maintain, And um, and that kind of continued on. um, And that's kind of that was my relationship with running um, until I don't even remember which year it was, maybe two or three years later into college where I was home visiting my parents uh, for the summer and I was out for a run. And in the distance, I saw an auntie in our community, an older older Chinese American woman, um, she was out running and I was, my mind was blown. Like, wait a minute. Like all my life so far, I had been told by all the aunties, older women in my life that running was bad for me, that running was harmful, you know, for my health, for my knees. Why am I doing stuff like that? Right. Like, and, and here is a woman who's out, running. So I go up to her, you know, I run up to her and I was like, Auntie Estella, what are you doing? (laughs) And, and it turned out, um, she had been running for years and not only that she had been running what was called a marathon. And, um, she had run the Houston marathon for at that point, uh, like 10, 11 years in a row. And she did that because she was a nurse at Memorial Hermann Hospital, and they have a uh, charity team that runs for the Houston Marathon every single year. And I just, that was paradigm shifting for me, because here was this woman who was from my community, who looked like me, and who was doing something utterly just like, I, I had just never heard of before. And what was this distance called the marathon 26.2 miles. And she had run it multiple times. What? And so that fall, when I went back to college, I immediately, I looked up if there were any marathons in the Austin area. Yes, there was, there's Austin marathon every February. And I, I registered myself for my first marathon. That was 2004. And, um, and yeah, I, that was how I became a marathoner. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, point. I
0: want to. I want to give a shout out to Auntie Estella because it—it's like a marathon is such a big deal. And I know now with social media, it seems like such an exaggeration because I—I I love those memes of you don't have to tell people you're running a marathon; everyone already knows because you can't <laughs> stop talking about it. So it's like so so it's so interesting to hear that here is this person that. You didn't even know I was doing it. And she had been doing it for 10, 11 years, right? Like that's a yeah. big part of her life that was yeah. given to the marathon distance. And you just didn't know about it. But I think it's also really interesting that and you brought something up and I wanted to ask you about it, right? You had, well, first of all, let me go back and say, now I understand there is, I think it's one of the posts that's pinned to your Instagram account where you're like, I'm a mother, I'm a marathoner. I'm 150 pounds. And I was like, that's such an interesting thing to kind of include there. And now hearing your story, I'm like, oh, that's why it's there because it is. And I'm going to assume this and you can check, you can check me, right? Like it is a part of your story of ownership of your experience of here. I am at this weight. This is the space. This is the physical space that I am taking up in this body, in this vessel, this, in this lifetime And it's okay. And it's okay to be that. And again, I saw that and I was like, oh, that's such an interesting thing. But again, hearing you speak, I'm like, oh, that's not just a statement. That's a declaration, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is the, I'm putting this stake in the ground and we're owning it. So you're telling me, and I know, I don't know, but guess I have like 10 questions that I want to ask you right now. And I'm trying to figure out like, where's the higher <laughs> questions here. But you said from 2001 to like 2004, that's where it shifted for you. And I'm curious since 2004, how has that continued to shift for you? Because I, again, I'm going to assume that in 2004, you weren't like, this is my weight. Yay. <laughs> I'm sure there was still kind of a process and your kids are similar in age to mine, which means you went through pregnancy, you went through your body changing, you went through, Mm -hmm. at least for me, I had my babies and afterwards, I had to learn how to love my body again Mm -hmm. because my body was so foreign for me. So what was that journey like between here you have this marathon and then here you have this post where you're declaring this is my weight? Mm
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, thank you, first of all, for even identifying that it wasn't so much of a statement of my weight as much as it was a declaration, like you're saying, right? Like a reclamation Mm. of what a former mindset or way of thinking was, you know? Um, Yeah, it definitely was a process and a journey of learning to, first of all, before we can get to loving ourselves, right, loving our bodies, we need to uncover and get to the root of what was causing us this disassociation, right, or making, what was making us feel a sense of, I don't know, shame, or, um, you know, a a form of, like, rejection of who we are, are the, the bodies that we're in, right, um, there are a lot of, factors that play into the ways that we view ourselves to begin with. And if we don't address those things, then all of the actions we take are really ultimately, I think just temporary and superficial, you know? Um, So for me, definitely uh, in college, it got to a point where I I could recognize for myself that I needed, I couldn't continue on with life the way that I was. um not just behaviorally speaking but also my mindset um because there were it got to the point where i couldn't leave my dorm room without comparing myself and measuring myself you know to every single female that i would pass in the the hallway on the quad in the campus and um and every every social gathering, um, all the time spent around food, which is very social, you know, Um, all I could think about was numbers, you know, it was all about calculations. And it was, there was this fear of rejection underneath it all that was tied to that, you know, and as I've, you know, become a mother, as I've grown into adulthood, I've been able to parse out a little bit more, uh, about like how those feelings became so tied together. And, um, I know a large part of it for me is, you know, being an Asian American, Asian American female growing up in a majority white centered culture and, w- while I, my parents and the immigrant community around me definitely instilled a very strong sense of, you know, cultural pride. um, And at the same time, I operated. I felt like I existed and operated in what I considered the real world, the real life, you know, of not, of being, of looking a certain way that was deemed as less than and and I think that played a lot into my sense of um, worth and place in life and um, and there was a strong fear of being found out as other which is silly in a way like as you know when we think about it because it's like I can't change obviously like I don't look white (laughs) I can't, I can't change the way that I look, obviously. Um, But there's, you know, growing up, you just, as a teenager, especially, you know, you think that and you hope that you can do enough to um, make yourself belong. Um, And so anyway, all that to say, I, I had gotten to a point where I realized like, I can't continue to exist and live like this. You know, I, I, at that point, right. Like 13 years old, all the way through, I think I was at least like 21, maybe at the time. Um, And just looking ahead into the future, into adulthood, just thinking like, do I want to be like drinking slim fast, you know, for the rest of my life every morning, you know, what if I become a mother, you know, like, Mm -hmm. is that the example I want? for my kids, and just thoughts like that, that I was like, and I and I need to free up bandwidth for myself emotionally, mentally, to think about other things, like to live life, because that I was not living, I was existing and moving through life. And so that was when I decided to seek counseling. And I, I mean, uh, thankfully, there were, you know, campus therapists, um, guidance counselors. And, um, and even though I only saw her for a few sessions, um, she helped me just to at least identify, you know, um, go through the processes of identifying like, um, what might be, beha- what are, what my behaviors indicate of what's actually going on internally. And, um, and she helped me to recognize that, again, a large part of my culture came from um, holding, holding together all of our stresses, our burdens, our problems, and never seeking help. Because if you, you, you just don't want to burden other people, right? But when we don't express our emotions, they'll come out, and they can either come out in healthy ways or unhealthy ways right and so even just something like that like helped me to recognize like i can i need to and i can express how i'm feeling and more so than that i can ask for help when i need it if i need it right um yeah. and so yeah like that was kind of the beginning of learning to reconnect with my body, with myself. And I will say running, even running that first marathon, um, it took a while before I could, before running shifted from being a a tool, a mechanism to feeling a sense of control um, into being a source of joy and empowerment Um, because like you said, right? Like going through pregnancy (laughs) and then postpartum age and, and like, and injuries, honestly, Um, they all challenge, I think any runner, regardless of whether or not you are dealing with disordered eating. Um, Those periods in a woman's life Mm. will shift your sense of identity and really challenge you to ask yourself where you are basing your identity, where you're, what, where you're drawing that, that from. Right. Um, and I think uh, we see this a lot online now, um, but we can get so tied up in our identity as a hashtag mother runner or Mm -hmm. like a fast runner or whatever kind of runner. And, um, And as soon as either we get injured or, you know, we get sick, even, you know, like COVID um, or we become, we get pregnant, right? Like all of these things will change, change how we are able to show up in the sport and also show up physically, right? Like our space, (laughs) the space, our body takes up. And those are, I think, really clarifying opportunities
0: for us yeah I want to thank you for sharing all of that because it's you're highlighting or I'm going to highlight something that you're sharing where it's like it's not really a linear process right like being a runner physically mentally and emotionally it's not a linear process at all and there's a lot of a lot of movement forward steps back There's so much, it's, it's, I feel like being a runner is, is more like dancing with the sport of running than actually doing it. Like you're not on a path and you're straight. No, no, no. There's so much back and forth. And it's, I always like to also highlight that sometimes the people that you see in the running community, they're not necessarily people that have been running their entire lives, right? Like you're someone that's still figuring it out. And this running thing has been by your side as you've figured different stages of life out, but it is, it is so important to take that time to understand like, what does being a runner mean to you? And not, like you said, a fast runner, a mother runner, uh, you know, a, a run walker or whatever, like none of that. Like once we take those labels away, what, what does, what does your involvement in the sport mean? What does it mean to you? And I want to quote you right now, if that's okay, because you said something in one of your posts and it really, really landed with me. I absorbed the disdain I witnessed and I sought to distance myself from other Asians. And again, I read that and hearing you speak now, it's like, oh wait, here's this person that tried to distance herself and now is a cheerleader for diversity, right? Like a cheerleader for getting people to come closer to those more marginalized identities instead of distancing, some distancing themselves. And the reason why, and I've, I think I've shared this story here on the podcast before. The reason why I loved those words is because I, I live in Miami. If you've listened to any episodes, you know, I live in Miami and I am part of the dominant culture here. I am part of the dominant look here. I speak the language, I eat the food. You know, like I'm my my family's Colombian, my husband's Cuban, like we fit the dominant culture of Miami and even so growing up and I'm first generation American. Growing up, I loved the Colombian culture and it was very much like I never went to Colombia. I actually didn't go to Colombia for the first time until I was 33 years old, and it was because my mother was terrified of taking us there because she was terrified we would get kidnapped and murdered. And you know that's kind of the legacy of Colombia for me and the story I told myself. So when I went at 33 years old, I was like, I am reclaiming part of my culture here. But I did go through that phase of loving the culture. And then I think by the time I hit middle school, it was, I guess, I don't want to say it wasn't cool to identify with the culture, but it was definitely one of those of, no, I didn't want to speak Spanish because everyone around me spoke English. And I would call myself once I got older, I would call myself una Latina arrepentida. Basically, like, I am, I am repenting, or I am like, feeling bad that I was this. And I'm just trying, I'm trying to learn how to reconnect with that, how to reconnect with that identity. And even then, and even now, I very much so feel in between of, I, and the example I give is usually, it has to do with Spanish, right? Where I speak enough Spanish and I speak it well enough to not be truly American, which I don't even know what that means. But I don't speak it well enough to be truly Latina, which I don't know what that means either. So that statement was one of those where, again, like before we started recording, where I'm like, oh, parallel paths here, where there was that moving away and then now trying to reconnect, but reconnecting as an adult. Understanding that what it means to be a Latin woman, what it means to be with Colombian heritage, it's not a monolith. Mm -hmm. And my experience is just that. It's my experience. It's not necessarily representative of everybody else's experience. So, again, I share all that so that I can circle back to that question of how did you go from disdain to to simplify it, from disdain to acceptance to celebration. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're exactly right. I think we tow that line between generalizing our entire people group, or community, while also, though, acknowledging that each one of us has such unique experiences. And there's just, there's so much nuance because you can be a like you can be a child of immigrants but then also depending on where you're living you know like regionally your experience then growing up straddling these two different cultures or multiple cultures can be very different just based on the people around you or the environment around you the authorities around you all of that and um just to acknowledge that i think already is very important and very powerful um i think that for me personally there definitely was a uh, a connection right between my own journey of uh self acceptance you know or i should say getting in touch with my myself my body um and that was i think parallel a lot of it was parallel to me finding my own voice and um turning back towards my own culture and heritage um I will say having my daughter my first child really brought me to a um like what's it called I can't think of the word but it it made me have to uh, reckon with my mm-hmm. own uh, my own issues, I guess you say, <laughs> with my culture, because it couldn't, like, none of quote unquote my issues were, were mine anymore, were my own anymore, because anything that was left unresolved within me was gonna impact m- my daughter, you know? Like, that's just how it is when you become a parent. Um, and so along the same lines of thinking, you know, when I was younger and thinking like, do I want to be on slim fast, right? The rest of my life is the model that I, is this example, I want to model for any future children. It was along the same lines, right? Like if I am still in some way rejecting my own culture, because I'm trying so hard to be accepted as white, what is that communicating? to my daughter then, you know, about who she is, Mm. how is she going to view herself? How is she going to learn to show up in, in the world? Right. And that was, again, everything is still a journey and ongoing process. So I really had to kind of get to the root again for myself of like, why did I feel like I needed to reject, you know, or like distance myself from my culture, you know, and just needing to recognize like, oh, it's because I associate, I, I, the way that I saw people in my community and elders in my community being treated with such disdain um, or discrimination, you know, growing up, like instead of being able to, as a child on obvious, you know, like instead of being able to identify that the ways that they were being treated was wrong i internalized yep. the 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 shame you know and and that's what made me want to distance myself from my own people when really it should have been the opposite <laughs> happening right and so even recognizing something like that was very pivotal and key to me taking the steps to check myself you know whenever eh, like whenever we encountered something that was cultural, such as, you know, in nearby towns, when there would be um, events uh, celebrating Lunar New Year, instead of me being like, oh no, we don't need it, we don't need to go, checking myself to be like, whoa, 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 like, why am I having that, that yeah. um, automatic response? And is it valid? No, it's not. <laughs> and would it be beneficial to my uh, to my family for us to make the effort to attend? Yes. So you know, like walking myself through that kind of thought process, like little by little, I felt like I was growing alongside her as my daughter was growing, and and that translate that carried over into learning to use my voice for things too, um, because even early on in preschool. Um, the 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 preschool nurse kept mixing up my daughter with the one other <laughs> Chinese girl uh, in the school, like not even just in her class, but in the school, um, and and I had to address that, you know, and and also be able to in very simplified ways explain to my daughter. Uh, why there was a mix up and how that shouldn't happen and that that's not okay right just just basic simple things like that Um, and learn learning to not shy away from these very real and necessary conversations you know that we have to have Um, of course then in 2020 really needing to be very clear with both my daughter and my son that hey you know People are going to be saying things now um, because that's what the leaders of our country are saying about anybody who looks like us. And I want you to know that it's not like it's not your fault. It's not our fault. Um, and but at the same time, we need to be very aware when we go out. And if anyone ever makes you feel unsafe, if you ever feel scared, you talk to us, you know, talk to me and dad and I, you know, like we are a safe space for you. Right. Um, and just learning to equip our kids with, with language. I am now, I'm, I'm just realizing I've kind of like gotten onto this other tangent (laughs) as I'm talking about this, (laughs) but, but um, but but yeah, that's kind of the
0: transition, (laughs) but it's great because it's, I mean, similar, but not right. Like I got into running when I had, well, my youngest was six months old, but even before that, when my when I was pregnant with my oldest, that was a reckoning for myself as well in terms of like, how ah, how am I approaching food? How am I approaching the way I talk about myself? And for me, it was very much so. I had I have two daughters, and as soon as I realized that first child was a girl, I said I need to start changing this language. And even if I don't, even if I have the thought a criticism of how my body looks i it needs to stay in my head i need to not verbalize that because it's not helpful to anyone but especially not to the person that that i am here to guide into personhood womanhood any of that and now i'm you know getting older and my body's changing again and the languaging now. And, and for me, it's part of it. It's genetics. Part of it is just, I, I am a petite Latin woman, which means the older I get, the curvier I'm getting. And I try really hard to exercise and stay healthy, but you know what? It's fine. So the story for me has very much so changed of like my butt's getting bigger. How can I make it bigger? Cause I just know, I just know the genetics <laughs> of my family. It's going to be a big butt. And, but like, part of that is like changing that language and celebrating it in front of my daughters so that they can see that, okay, this transition of me and how I change and how I view myself, it's still a positive one. So it's like, I hear you. And I'm like, yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying because I even tell my daughters that in Miami, again, that idea of in Miami, we are the majority people look like us and you may not think you are a brown person but you are the minute you step out of Miami-Dade County it changes and i try to tell my girls that again similar but different to what you're saying where in Miami it this is a bubble for us this is a bubble that once we step outside of Miami just doesn't exist anymore. And I do try to prepare my children for that of like, you're dark haired, you have darker features. You are, I mean, they're going to look like me. They're going to look like me. So just want to say like, I hear you. And I feel that (laughs) because everything we do, at least for me, you know, once I became a mother, I put more thought into Mm -hmm. how I show up. And I have put more thought into how I, it's like how I show up and how I am taking up space. And then again, how I am celebrating all these different things for me. And Miami, a lot of people, it's shifting, but in Miami growing up for me, it was always like, oh, you're Cuban. And it's like, no, there's there's other other Spanish speaking people here. Like it's not (laughs) Cuban. And even with my daughters, now I have to tell them like when people try to guess where they're from, because that's a big thing here. And I don't know if that's big for you too, of where are you from? <laughs> people will always assume Cuban and I'm like, okay, but make sure you say the Colombian part too, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's a whole that's a whole family lineage that yeah. has made you possible. So make sure you tell people that one as well. And so I thank you for sharing that because I, I do feel that for, for many people, parenthood is that, is a big cataclysmic thing that really shifts because I tell, I, and I think about this a lot of, oh, I am a model of womanhood for these girls, just Mm -hmm. like I am a model of someone in relationship Mm -hmm. with other people for them. And I am in a, in a relationship with their father and they are seeing that and kind of that's how they're starting to build their worldview up until, you know, they go out on their own and experience will Mm -hmm. teach them otherwise. But I just, I really appreciate that you shared that because it's running and I'll bring it back to running where it's, it's never really just about you. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. a lot of your message in particular is that, that, Yes, I am one person, but I'm here to show you that someone who looks like me can look like you, can do all of this too. And there's power in that. Um I wanted to go back, circle back to one of the questions that I had for you because I it's yeah. again, you 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 wrote about it in one of your posts and I wanted to get your thoughts on What are the privileges in running that people don't realize or may not think of as privileges? And the reason I wanted to ask that is one, because you wrote about it, but then you talked about like sports growing up and, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. When I was growing up, I played on a soccer team one year, but then we couldn't afford any more. And in high school, I really wanted to do color guard, which is the the thing with the flag. Mm -hmm. And I made the team but we couldn't afford to do it. So like Mm, sports mm. were a privilege and similar, but it's like, I went to the gym because I, you know, I, I went to college and gym was included. So I would go to the gym sometimes and I would do the treadmill because that was the one thing that like, I'm like, Oh, that can't be hard. Right. Like you get on, you press buttons and you start, whereas (laughs) the weight room and everything else. I'm like, I don't understand what's happening here, but the treadmill I get. So When I saw you had written something about privilege and then hearing you speak, it's like, oh, that's another one that we don't realize it is a privilege. Having the time, having the resources to be able to do these things is a privilege. But I was curious from your perspective, what are things that people just don't think about or they don't recognize Mm -hmm. as a privilege or one of my favorite words as something that's gatekeeping? And mm. preventing people from entering the sport.
1: Mm. Oh, mm. If we want to get into gatekeeping. That's like a whole other, <laughs> <laughs> oh, a whole other conversation because that definitely is tied to um, what you what your intro was <laughs> about the whole debacle with the tracksmith post. But but um, well, we're gonna set that one aside for right now. Um, in terms of privilege, you know, I think oftentimes. In general, people think that privi- the privilege um, in running is simply like, oh, financial, right? Like affording a pair of new shoes every other month, essentially, or affording the gear, which is true, definitely. Um, I think it's more systemic and broader than that, right? Like when when we talk about representation even, and resource, access to resources. That is a broader issue, like starting at a young age, right? And I think, and Alison Desir talks about this in her book, Running While Black, (laughs) um, right? About how even if we look back um, in our country's history, not even that long ago, and about who, who was allowed to live in what neighborhoods, in what areas, and it still hold true today, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You'll see that majority of people of color have been relegated into neighborhoods, subdivisions, cities, uh, where everyone is either really crammed close together or the uh, road system, you know, like roadways, sidewalks are not, well-kept or taken care of. So that's also like tripping hazard, danger. Traffic is not control, uh, uh, regarded, um, taken care of either. So that's also another risk. And then you have very poorly funded schools um, or community centers. Um, and when you don't have schools that even have decent, you know track and field or sports programs how are you going to get how are you going to get students exposed right to to these different sports um or to even participate in a sport in uh, that will be supported enough for them to enjoy um because no one wants to show up at attract me with like scrubby, <laughs> scrubby gear, and then be expected to compete at a high level um, against well-funded schools, you know. Yeah. Um, so there's that level, I think, of privilege. Um, and then I think, at least personally, there, uh, in my experience, there's also the privilege of having community support. Um, whether the community is Uh, in a broad sense or within your own family. Mm -hmm. And that's something that that's a pattern that comes up repeatedly in diverse. We run stories, you know, where it's hard being the only lonely, um, not just as a person of color showing up at run clubs or group runs, but being the only lonely within your family and, and having to explain yourself or defend why you why you choose to spend time or resources to continue the sport of running right like and that that's huge that i think people who maybe grew up in families who also all ran track and field or cross country or whose parents were, um, you know, marathoners and kind of like went along the pipeline, (laughs) you know, of running um, or sports, like it's hard to understand what it's like when your own parents or the elders in your life or the, the people in your life, just really are constantly questioning why you're doing this thing that's so absurd and that's a waste of time or that is an opportunity cost where you could be spending more time with their family or you could be doing xyz instead or you're being selfish in try, you know in pursuing yeah. this type of extracurricular or sport right like that is a different kind of privilege and in uh, and i think unfortunately ends up keeping a lot of people or like taking a lot of people out of the sport eventually, you know? Um, and I had another idea, but then now I just lost (laughs) lost my chain of thought. But I feel like that's a big one, the lack of community.
0: I was gonna say that's something that I always think of. I and it was so highlighted for me in my Chicago, 2021 marathon buildup where I would go for my run. And when I came home, my husband would have my smoothie ready for me, like my breakfast. Right. And like afterwards, (laughs) but I was like, I was like, but it's, I love it. I love it. And it was so great, but I'm like, Holy smokes, that's a privilege. Like Mm -hmm. I am privileged to have married a person who understands how important this is to me and who is going ahead and making my smoothie so that I can have my breakfast before I take the kids to school. Like it's like little things like that where I think we often get so caught up in the story of our lives mm. that we forget to take a step back and realize, wait, not everyone has the same story. Like this same story is not playing out for others. And mm. I just love that you brought all of that up because it is really hard To be the only person and I'm similar, like for me, it's I'm the only one in my immediate family and a big chunk of my family that runs. However, all of them support my running and I have done what I can to build a running community for myself so that even though the people in my house don't necessarily understand it, I do have people that I can turn to that do understand it. But as well, like that goes with privilege, right? Like I, I have a running coach. So I have the privilege of having expendable money to Mm -hmm. have a running coach. I have the privilege to be able to go out on Saturday for a long run and not have to rush home to go to work or rush home to be with my kids. Or I don't even have to, I can go out and do my long run and stay out for a couple of hours and and not really have to check in. Like that Mm -hmm. is a privilege. And, anytime I stop to think about it, I'm like, okay, so I'm not going to complain about running right now (laughs) because there's really the roadblocks that I have to running right now are in my head and not necessarily Mm -hmm. something that is, to what you said, systemically preventing me from doing that. Or it's just another barrier that prevents me from doing that. And those are things that That's a big a big thing of this podcast is always just figuring out like, like, okay, so what what do we need to do in order to invite more people into the running community? And every time I ask that, it is a confirmation that the answer is not easy. That yes, we can say like, and even when you were talking about communities, I started to think about, and I don't know if you've seen the research that's been coming out about trees. And how in wealthier communities, there's more trees. So there's tree oh, yes. coverage. Yep. And yep. then it's it's like 10 degrees cooler yeah. And mm-hmm. in communities that don't have as much resources where there's no trees whatsoever. So how are you going to run when you're like, it's 10 degrees hotter there and yep. just being yep. outside. So even Definitely. hearing you say that, I'm like, yeah, we don't even think about that. Like those trees that you see outside, someone planted them Someone planted them there and someone at some point was very intentional about making sure that there are more trees in affluent neighborhoods than in other neighborhoods. Those are all little things that that we don't think about. Um, But now I kind of want to go back and don't have to go deep into it, but I'm always just curious about gatekeeping. And when we are talking about gatekeeping in sport. And I have so many thoughts. And again, every time I ask this question about inclusivity, or I ask this question about accessibility, about running, it is for me to, to use that word again, a, a reckoning of, oh, the things that I would recommend, I no longer recommend, because it's not as easy as I once thought it was. So I'm curious for you, what do you think are the biggest gatekeepers within running?
1: Um, What do you mean by biggest gatekeepers? Are you talking about just in general, kind of like barriers? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think there is still a lot of this okay, the the notion or the idea that um, a real, quote unquote, whatever a real runner is, right? And that serious or real runners are the ones who are truly competitive, or I guess like, hmm, how do I explain this? I think the idea that there is still just this one definition of what a serious or real runner is and uh there's a lot tied into that that very vague um concept but at this point this year especially i have talked with enough brands (laughs) and seen people's posts and um, actions to at least recognize that there are still so many so many companies, so many coaches, too, unfortunately, um who perpetuate this idea that, you know, sure, there's the just the broad general running community of anyone and anybody can be a runner. ok, OK, Cool. We'll give you those cookies. But if you're a serious runner, right, then you're you're going to be, ultra competitive and you're going to be wanting to like push yourself in this very defined way to want to either like qualify for Boston or qualify for the Olympic trials marathon. And you were going to be, you know, just like you're without, without people actually saying it, they are saying it of like that very stereotypical historically, used model of what a runner is which is like thin affluent white who has the resources to pursue these like arbitrarily defined you know qualifying races and it's really frustrating because I just it's harm it's hurtful it's not allowing, it's not encouraging more people to participate in the sport or promoting longevity when you're continuing to still categorize and differentiate between, a, I don't know, what an, an amateur runner versus what? What? Unless you are a professionally paid elite runner, there's no other you everyone else falls within this other category right um but unfortunately i think a lot of a lot of brands a lot of i don't know industry leaders still very much um believe that there is this other definition of a runner and those are the people who are going to get their attention and those are the people and uh, yeah those are the people who are going to be um uh, what's it called elevated Mm -hmm. and, um, amplified and asked to speak and, you know, all of that. So, you know, that's just, that's what the reality is right now. Yeah, And I just have to choose to, um, remember that there is a whole contingency and community of people who, um, are pushing back against that concept, Mm -hmm. that idea, that narrative, and hopefully we will continue to grow. (laughs) Um, and yeah, that's, those are my thoughts on that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, as I'm hearing you speak, I'm thinking back to just multiple posts that I see online, um, which this year I felt were incredibly heightened around, uh, the Boston Marathon and then Tracksmith. And then I feel like we're going to start seeing it now that New York City announced that they're no longer going to be accepting time entries and stuff like that. And see that part. Oh yeah. 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 They just announced it. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I, so I have a feeling or not. I have a feeling, but it is such a common thread of if you work hard enough, Mm -hmm. you'll get there. And I'm like, what the heck does that even mean? Like get where? Get right? And I'm like, but I'm working really hard. Like, yeah, this right? is hard work for me. My, you know, I ran this morning and it was an 11 minute mile for four miles. And that, let me tell you, that was really freaking hard. And it's mm-hmm. not for lack of working hard that mm-hmm. I'm not meeting whatever these prescriptions. And that's me personally. I I would say the past few years has been uh, I'm paying more attention to who I'm following online in terms of reminding myself that being a runner means for me at the most basic is that you're committed to going out and running, whether you're doing it fast, quote unquote, fast or slow or you're walking the fact that you have committed yourself to go out and do that, you are a runner. So I find that when I first started on social media, it was great because everyone was just sharing. We're all so new to it. And then I would see little by little, the accounts that had the biggest followings were the people that were the fastest. And I'm like, but wait, what about everyone else? And like, aren't we all just doing this for a hobby? Like, aren't we all just like, (laughs) you know, don't we all have, there's mm-hmm. a privilege in that honestly to run is even there is a privilege because to running means you have free time to do mm-hmm. the running. And yeah. the longer your distance that you're doing that just that is more indicative of the free time that you have. If I'm mm-hmm. training for a marathon that means on Saturday morning I have 3 to free, 3 to 4 hours of free time yeah. to run, right? Yeah. So that for me was this whole this whole trajectory of Instagram was, oh, I just started running. I was so excited. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, I, I need to do Boston because everyone's mm-hmm. in Boston mm-hmm. and all the accounts right. with the big followers have Boston. And everyone is saying that progress as a runner means that I get to this level of Boston. Yes. Right. And mm-hmm. let me tell you, I worked really hard and I swear one day I'm going to take a picture because I have in my journal, from years mm. ago, it was a five year plan mm. of how much time I needed to take off each year mm. and progress in order to meet that qualifying standard. And yeah. I've told this story so many times, but I really, I really get riled up about this. So thank you for giving me the space here. Yeah. But yeah, girl, I thought, I thought that in order to be a runner and to really like progress and, and, grow as a runner that I needed to have that Boston marathon that I needed to have that Boston qualifying thing. And Mm -hmm. thankfully for me at the time, my run coach was like, why do you want this? Like, it was very simple of like, is this for you or is this for someone else? And when she asked me that, I was like, oh, this is for someone else. And let me tell you that sent me down a spiral of figuring out and then remembering that the reason why I started running, first of all, I started running for my daughters because I wanted to be a good example for them. But then I fell in love with it for myself because I was just curious as to what I could do. And I realized, oh, chasing these numbers is chasing someone else's goal, which is making running feel like a chore. So Mm -hmm. anytime I see now when people start saying, if you work harder, or I just, or I even hear people say, I just have to work harder to do that. And it's like, no, like- aren't you, aren't you already working hard? I, I want to meet the person who is, who, who goes out for a run and is like, that was the easiest thing. That was so delightful. Let's do it again. Because that doesn't, I mean, I maybe have like one run like that a month where I'm like, that was a great run. Yes. Most of my runs are kind of like, all right, stuff. like I have to convince myself that I can do it. So to me, that is part of, part of this conversation of gatekeeping of this messaging that Some people sent out and some brands of if you work hard, you'll Mm -hmm. get this. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, this is a lesson that I'm teaching my children now of like, yeah, you know what? You can work hard and still not get it. Yeah. And guess what? That's life. So Mm -hmm. I find that even telling saying that, it makes people question whether they're even working hard. And it's like, Mm -hmm, but they are mm -hmm. like you're doing it. So I'm hoping I'm going to put my hope in yours and I'm going to borrow some of your belief here that things are changing because when you tell people that being a runner means doing this race or being a runner means working hard and doing this and doing that, we're setting, we're placing running in this box yeah, mm-hmm. that does not take into consideration how unique each and every person is.
1: Exactly. Yeah, word. I'm like, "Oh, yes, all the snaps."
0: <laughs> so that's why. Yes. That's why I appreciate and here I'm I'm going to bring it all back together as we start to wind this conversation down. This is why I appreciate the diverse we run page because you feature different athletes and Not only are you featuring these people who are doing this thing called running, you are highlighting their stories. Like I went back and I'm like, she's not even mentioning, like in these stories, there aren't times, right? Like it's not like, oh, Boston qualifier times five, marathon PR, 5K PR. And and I don't, I want people to know there's nothing wrong with that stuff. And it's all great. But there's so much more to who you are than the numbers and how did you make that conscious decision i'm going to assume it's conscious i'm i'm giving you a lot of credit here to highlight the story and not so much the the product i guess of that story mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know it's
1: interesting because I always I ask every single runner. Like I have a list of questions that I send to people um, and I to, to give them kind of like a starting point uh to help them, you know, think through what they want to share. Um and I ask every person what is the uh, what is the running accomplishment that you are the most proud of. And I, I t- you kidding like no one no one just states like a time, you know what I'm saying? Like, no one's like, oh, I'm the proudest of the fact that like I qualify for Boston, you know? <laughs> and it's always, people are the proudest of things they do that that either involve and like benefit their community or that's like tied to just a greater, bigger purpose beyond getting faster. And most often than not, you know, I mean, not to say I I definitely there have been features featured runners who are Boston multiple time, you know, like Boston qualifiers um, and people who are very fast. Um, but even with their stories, the things that they're proud of is is more or less like the the impact that their journey has had on raising others up on bringing others in um, and the, and I feel like that is really just, that's, I hope that that is the heartbeat, you know, of our running community and of the sport, you know, that people can see more and like that we can hold on to, you know, moving forward. Um, Cause that's really what's going to bring about longevity mm-hmm. in our sport. And it's, truly how we can also just use running to better our, our community, right. And our life. So, so really I just, I have the people to thank, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it just, I that's one of the most remarkable and beautiful things I have um, witnessed in sharing these different stories that at least, you know, from my perspective and from the like, you know, couple hundreds <laughs> of athletes whom I featured, you know, people of color, we show up in the sport for reasons greater than ourselves, mm-hmm. you know? Yes, people definitely want to take care of themselves, like their own health and wellness. Um, but there's always this underlying sense of altruism, you know, that that is like moving people forward. And because for the most part, runners, athletes of color, it's there is a there is a cost, you know, to us showing up in this in this sport where we are still um, the minority in many ways, right? There is a cost and there is a risk, um, but yet people choose to do so repeatedly, you know, day after day, week after week, month after month because for others, you know, okay. and, um, and that's, I don't know, I, that's just, that's beautiful. Every time I think about that, I'm just like, mm, yeah, like perspective, <laughs> you know? Yeah.
0: And it's also just even thinking of some of the ones that I read where it's like, you have a lot of people who are the first, the first in their families <laughs> mm-hmm. do this. And it is them being the first, and I hope everyone realizes this, where it's like, you're you're the one that is creating a new path forward for everyone around you whether it be that your parents see you running and then they get curious and want to do a 5k or that you have children and then they want to they want to think about doing that as well so it's mm-hmm. it's never and again it's never really just about you right like running may feel like a very individualized sport when you're in it because you're the one doing the running yeah. but there's always always someone that is watching and there's always, there are always people that you are inspiring without even knowing it, right? Like when you share your story, you have no clue whose heart it's going to touch, which Mm is why it's so important to share those stories. Mm -hmm. So all right. Can you remind us what are the social media websites that we can follow you on and find out more about you? Yeah. So of course, you know, you can follow Diverse We Run
1: on Instagram. Uh, that's where all the storytelling uh, and of uh, different runners happens. And then my own personal account is I run for the glory and that's also on instagram i do have a website i run for the glory.com and if anybody i don't know wants, there's like a inquiry section too if you wanted to email me or reach me but of course you can always slide into my dms on um on insta so that's primarily how you can reach me
0: what do you have coming up that we can celebrate you in oh, you had
1: this question on your survey (laughs) form and that got me stuck for a while. (laughs) I was like, I got nothing. (laughs) I got no races. (laughs) I have like no projects that I'm launching. (laughs) But honestly, it did make me think, okay, what I can celebrate and what I am celebrating right now is the fact that, well, I just turned 40 and it's just this new, I feel like I'm entering this new era of life, where I want to, uh, I want to feel more comfortable in my skin and who I am, you know, as you were referencing earlier, there's just a lot changing in a woman's body at this stage of life, but also just, you know, I just, I, I feel ready. I feel ready to take, take a bet on myself. I feel mm-hmm. ready to stand in my strength. And I just, I feel ready to act even when afraid, you know, and to step out in faith over fear in this next year. So yeah, that's what I'm celebrating. That's what I would like to share.
0: <laughs> I love that. I love that because that's where I find getting older as a woman, I even for myself, I feel like there's there's some story changing that I need to do in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, I think of like, Um, the women in my family, the older women have all gotten plastic surgery and, you know, on their face, on their body. And I'm like, no, I, I, again, respect to people who do that. (laughs) But for me, I'm like, I want to embrace the wrinkles. Like for me, my wrinkles are a sign that I have lived, that I have felt and that I have not felt ashamed to share it on my face. So Mm. I find that the older I get, I'm like, all right, let's just, let's just bring it all on. And can I, can I laugh louder? Can I, can I try to get myself to actually cry? Cause I have trouble with crying, even though I feel it, even though I feel it, I'm like, I can't, I can't, I, I try. So it's like, can I just feel more deeply into everything and not feel like I have to apologize for feeling Mm -hmm, deep. mm -hmm. so I love all of that okay final final question and thank you so much for all the time you gave us final question is just do you have any final words for us oh gosh (laughs) you know
1: like well this is what I'm this has been my mantra ever since Des Linden said it, but, you know, keep showing up in whatever ways you're able to for the day, you know, in this season of life. Um,
0: Yeah. One day at a time. One day at a time. And with that, everyone, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Not only are we our stories, but we are also changed by the stories of others, and our stories can change over time. Thank you, Carolyn, for reminding us that this running community is full of stories that reflect all of us. Yes, we may have to look hard for those stories, but they are out there. Running is for me, Carolyn, and people who look like us. I invite you, the listener, to share your story you never know who will be inspired by you. For more on Carolyn, give her a follow on Instagram at irunfortheglory and check out her website at irunfortheglory.com. Make sure to also check out the incredible stories being shared on the Diverse Rerun Instagram page. You can reach out to me on Instagram at The Cookie Runner or through my website at thecookierunner.net. You can also support this podcast with a rating, review, or a share. Until next time, run happy, run strong, and run true to you.